Welcome everyone to episode 61 of the Ski Podcast. Exciting uh, day today, we're going to be discussing the latest in, uh, in quarantine and how the industry stands for this winter. We've got a report on actual skiing from Engelberg, uh, chatting and finding out a little bit more about developments in the Jungfrau region. We're going to be finding out about Courcheval, uh, sustainable clothing from Picture Organic, uh, diversity in the industry and we're going to be touching on ski book group and to go through all of that with me today I have two guests and they are um, in order uh, Crystal who's head of marketing at uh, snow.co.uk. Morning Crystal how are you? Hello I'm good thank you and yourself? <laughs> uh, I'm well thank you it's been a long time since we had you on the show I think it was in about episode five or something like that so yes it was a while ago yeah <laughs> we've all moved on we'll touch on that later uh, we also have friend of the show uh, Alex Irwin who is founder of the YouTube channel 150 days of winter hi Alex how are you hi Ian I'm very well thank you in a from a very wet Courcheval from Courcheval I should have mentioned that of course um welcome to the show I'd also like to thank our uh, sponsors and partners Switzerland Tourism uh, for continuing to support the show and we're going to be chatting about a couple of uh, areas in Switzerland as we uh, go on but firstly I'd like to just start off by asking you um, when you last went skiing Crystal can I kind of start with you when did you last go skiing? Yeah, so I didn't actually get to go um, the, the, the last season um, because of one thing and another. <laughs> and so the last time I actually skied was the end of the season before. So um, in March 2019, um, I went to Solden in Austria. So um, incredible week. So it was it was a good week to, to go out on. <laughs> um, okay, that's good. Well, uh, all the more important then that uh, we get these quarantine things sorted out. What about you, Alex? I'm guessing it was in Courcheval, although you might have done some summer skiing. Uh, unfortunately, at the end of February, I broke my leg rather badly. So yeah, I remember put, now, which put pay to any summer skiing, which really annoyed me. Um, and I so wanted to be able to say that I'd been skiing like three days ago. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I was actually going to go to teen, but work took over. But I plan on going to teen on Monday. Okay, okay. So when will you be skiing next? Certainly ahead of probably almost everyone listening to the podcast. I so we we'll we'll look forward. Maybe you can send us a report about that one, Alex. Sure. So just thinking about skiing, I mean, you mentioned team that opened uh, last weekend, as did ladies out on the glaciers uh, there for autumn skiing. There's also plenty of skiing around in uh, Austria on their glaciers. I believe Davos and Gestatt in uh, and I've got to get that pronunciation right. Uh, Sarah uh, Roloff will correct me. Gestalt uh, in Switzerland are opening this weekend. Do you pronounce the G? <laughs> Long yeah, discussion. I'll have, to, I'll have to refer back to whichever episode it was that Sarah corrected our pronunciation. How you say it, Gestalt. How we say it, Gestalt. But we all know where I mean, and it's opening this weekend. Um, so there are there is skiing open at the moment, but uh, if you're in the UK, currently we have a lot of quarantines uh, in place with, that are preventing us. And uh, previously we discussed about the government, a global task force. Uh, there has been some news on that um, since our last, uh, since episode 60. Um, it looks like Grant, Grant Shapps is suggesting that there will be, uh, they're favouring a system where when you get back you uh, have a test 
And if you're negative, you're released from quarantine early. So it could reduce quarantine to seven days. Uh, and that probably looks like the best uh, kind of position at the moment. So here's your big question then. I'll start with you, Crystal. Do you think British people will be able to go skiing this winter? I do think in some capacity, um, people will be able to ski, but it will be a very different experience this year compared to what we used to. Um, it may be in Scotland, it may be a snow dome, it may be a small ski country that no one's ever heard of before. There will be opportunities, um, but yeah, it it's still so difficult to to actually make a a like committed decision on um right now but there will be something but um, we're just not too sure but it there's a lot of good signs this year there's been uh, this week sorry there's been a lot of movement um you know there was the the big the test on the on the Heathrow to New York flight and um, this week yeah. uh, which is very exciting um so as long as we can quickly get that rolled out and up the testing um, I think that's our way forward and that's how we will get to go to the mountains this winter. Yeah, I mean, I, I would personally favour, uh, instead of what Grant Shapps is suggesting, a test after return, I think after five days of coming back, a system where you have a test prior to travel and a test on arrival. So if you were coming back to the UK, you could have a, uh, a test just before within 72 hours of leaving and then when you get back and you could cut quarantine down even further or what we uh, mentioned in episode 60, the Common Pass project, which is effectively a globally recognised um, app which would have your bio data on it. But Alex, you're, of, you're in Courcheval. You will therefore be skiing or in there or in Teen or somewhere else. But what do you think about British people being able to come out? And, and even, you know, you're in France. I know a number of different departments in France have in, introduced a curfew from nine o'clock. Uh, I think it's starting today or tomorrow. Right. In Courcheval? Well, in, in the Savoie and North Savoie region. But do you think the ski resorts do you think the ski resorts will open as planned? Because they're certainly I, I, saying I am, I am super optimistic, probably overly optimistic that they will <laughs> that they will open. But I also think it there's gonna be an irony that because of the amount of snow we've already had. Uh, I actually think that this season we're going to have the best snow in the world and no one's going to be there to ski on it. Yeah, OK. No, I kind of see what you're saying there. Um, I mean, I would say that from the British market point of view, to have a really good snow season and particularly to have a really good start to the season would be about the best possible thing that we could have. Because if the resorts are open and we can show people are skiing and there's really good snow, there is such a huge amount of pent up demand that as soon as it is feasible to travel, there are going to be a lot of people going out to the Alps and the Pyrenees and, and all over the place. Of course. Well, let's let's um, get a report from someone who has been skiing. Um, Charlie Reese sent me uh, an email saying, really enjoying listening to the show. Skiing is my passion. The pod has inspired me and offered to send us in a, a snow report. He'd listened to Robin's report from Montefon uh, in Austria. And he sent us uh, this report from Engelberg, which he recorded last weekend. Hi all, this is Charlie reporting from Engelberg in Switzerland. Currently sat at about 3,000 metres on top of the Klein Titlis mountain, looking out across a sea of cloud uh, towards the west at the Eiger and Jungfrau and many other famous Swiss mountains. The sun is shining and the sky is blue and there are many people out enjoying the lovely conditions. 
So a little bit about Engelberg in case you've not heard of it before. So the town is situated in the canton of Obwalden in central Switzerland and is a short distance from Lucerne and with an easy reach of Zurich Airport by train or car. Uh, the town became famous for its Benedictine monastery that was set up in the 12th century and this is where uh, Engelberg gets its name. Uh, so Engelberg translates to uh, Mountain of Angels in English. It's a very pretty ski town dominated by major mountain peaks over 3,000 metres uh, and with many nice hotels that you can stay in and is popular both in the summer and winter. In terms of skiing, so it's become a bit of a mecca for free riding in recent years but it's also suitable for all abilities as there's a significant amount of uh, piece-based skiing as well. Uh, the resort itself is split into two parts, with the majority of the challenging skiing on the tip list, but some easier skiing on the lower slopes or a short bus ride across the town on the Brunny side of the valley. A major attraction is the rotary cable car up to tip list, which is quite unique and gives a, an amazing panorama of surrounding peaks. And there's also a cliff walk and an ice cave at the top of the mountain as well, so suitable for, for non-skiers as well. The resort opened on Saturday the 10th of October this season uh, with excellent snow conditions and about 10 kilometres of marked piece currently open. Uh, there's been about a base of 90 centimetres uh, with more snow forecast in the coming weeks and months. Um, so yeah, looking set to be a good season in terms of snow. Um, the skiing is open up until uh, the T-bar the on the glacier. However, there is an unmarked piste going down to stand uh, which many people have been using today and is, uh, is, is very good although a little bit thin in parts and uh, has, has put a bit of put a few dinks in my skis. The snow cannons currently aren't on however there's a snow line down to around 1400 meters which is pretty good for this time of year. In terms of coronavirus restrictions uh, so masks are required on all public transport in Switzerland and this also applies to cable cars uh, and gondolas. However, chairlifts and draglifts are exempt from this, uh, which is quite nice. So when you're actually skiing, unless you're taking a gondola, uh, you don't actually need to wear a mask. Additional restrictions. So when traveling on the, the main gondola up from the town, uh, it's limited to four people per cabin uh, instead of the normal eight. Um, but obviously if you're going as a family of more than four, you can go together, that's not a problem. Um, the mountain restaurants and facilities are all open as usual um, with social distancing measures in place as you would expect. In other news in terms of uh, early season skiing, Andermatt, another resort that's about an hour away from here that also has a glacier, is scheduled to open on the last day of this month so that should be, should be good. Uh, and in Switzerland, as mentioned on the podcast before, there are also another three glaciers that you can go skiing on. Um, so Sasfe, Zermatt and Le Diablere, uh, the Glacier 3000, are also open. Uh, both Sasfe and Zermatt are looking to open more peace uh, in the coming weeks and likewise with the other resorts. Um, so it's well worth considering uh, potentially next season looking at doing an early season trip um, in sort of October half term time and uh, tying in some of these glaciers. So uh, one, one potential uh, idea could be to stay in Visp and uh, ski both Sasfe and Zermatt on alternate days and then on your way back to Geneva you can make a detour and ski up on Glacier 3000. Um, so yeah, there's plenty to do in terms of the early season skiing. 
Uh, and the benefit as well is there are less people here. Um, the lift prices are often cheaper and so are the hotels. And also if the weather's not great uh, and you can't go skiing, there's plenty of stuff to do in the valley. Um, so it's well worth considering potentially for next season. Uh, so yeah, I hope this has found you well um, and, and proved interesting. And I wish you all the best for the coming months and hope you keep safe. Crystal, um, have you ever been to Engelberg in Switzerland? I haven't. Um, I've never actually skied in Switzerland apart from popping over to Zermatt um, on You've a trip to You've never Virginia. skied in Switzerland. Well, that is something we, we have to correct because there's some amazing uh, skiing over there. Let me know if you want to... And some connections I could help you out on that. Um, yes, so you've only been over to, uh, to Zermatt when you're in uh, Chavinia. Um, Alex uh, Engelberg? No, sorry. No, okay, well, I'll chip in, I'll chip in here then. Okay, it is uh, Engelberg, Angel Mountain, literal translation. Really good skiing for uh, advanced skiers. If you go up onto the, uh, the tier list, I was lucky enough, I must have been on a press trip or something. I can't exactly remember now, but I know we had a guide. And we went on this massive, big itinerary off-piste run where we ended up getting a taxi back into town. Um, I should probably uh, recall more detail about it. But, uh, you know, there's lots and lots of challenging um, off-piste skiing there. So, you know, I'd hope to be back there again. What I do remember about Engelberg was our flight landed into Zurich quite late. And so I thrashed it in the hire car from Zurich to uh, the resort. And when I got home, I got three um, speeding fines, all from speeding cameras in Zurich. So I must have gone under a whole bunch of bridges. And um, I probably shouldn't admit this on the, I might have mentioned it on the pod before, but um, I moved shortly after that and I just ignored them uh, and hoped they went away. And I was slightly nervous when I flew into Geneva for the next few times after that, but I appear to have, to have got away with it. But um don't you can't use this in evidence there's a statute limitation on speeding fines <laughs> and also on the on the, from the switzerland front uh earlier this week i spoke to remo kaiser who works for the jungfrau railway uh, company and they've developed the eiger express which we uh, mentioned in an earlier episode and uh, let's just listen to what he had to say about that uh, good morning. I'm delighted to be joined here today by Remo Kayser, who's Director of Sales from Jungfau Railways. And uh, the reason I wanted to uh, have you on, uh, Remo, because I mentioned in the podcast, uh, I think a couple of episodes ago, about the new Iger Express. And I believe that, you know, it's your company who've developed that lift and have brought it to fruition. It's been in planning for a long time, I think, hasn't it? Yeah, good morning. Uh, pleasure to speak to you. And indeed, it was a very long way to go um, for the for the Eiger Express for the V Cableway project. And we are very, very happy that we can take the final step and open the project in its full on 5 December 2020, which will be a massive upgrade for the whole Jungfrau ski region. Yeah, I've been to uh, the Jungfrau region before and um, skied in Inwengen and Grindelwald and a long long time ago, I went to the Jungfrau Joch. It was actually in 1990. So that's, uh, that's far too long ago to remember. But one of the big advantages of the, uh, of the Iger Express, the new V cableway, is it's going to reduce the amount of time to get up to the Jungfrau Joch, which is the highest point in the area, isn't it? 
Yes, totally correct. So I think it's time to come back for you for, for some skiing <laughs> or excursion yeah. to Jungfraujoch, top of Europe. Well, indeed, uh, the, the biggest advantage is actually the time saving, but also I have to say it's an improvement in quality as well. As we, uh, as a skier in the past or, or, or last season, for example, you had to catch a train actually to go to the ski area. So now we, we really upgraded that and you can take our new uh, 3S uh, cable car all the way to Eiger Glacier. And I can give you some examples. For example, if you travel from Bern, our capital, or also from, from Interlock, and you will save 47 minutes until you are on the slope. So this is a massive time saving. Yeah, I did see yeah. that. Uh, the, um, let's say one hour, 49 minutes from Bern to the slopes and one, uh, two hours, 50 minutes from uh, Zurich to the slopes. And, you know, when I've traveled in Switzerland, I always go by train anyway, but it does want, you know, there's a charm in traveling by train when you're in that Jungfrau uh, area, but this lift will make it uh, significantly better and quicker to get on the mountain. Can, can, can I ask a, a question? So can you remind me where it goes from and to? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned the travel by train. I, I don't have to disappoint you because you can still <laughs> reach the ski area actually by train. So from Interlaken, you catch a train on the way to Grindelwald. And just before Grindelwald, we have a new train stop. So we are perfectly connected to the railway network. Right. And from there, it's called Grindelwald Terminal. And from there, you have the cable car departure. So that's mean, that means the new cable car starts in Grindelwald itself, connected right. directly to the railway network. Excellent. And so the Eiger Express will take you up to, is it 2,300 meters? Yes, correct. Uh, the, the, the final station of the, of the Eiger Express is at Eiger Glacier, which is uh, a bit more than 2,300 meters above sea level. And for the people who want to go to Jungfraujoch, there is also the possibility then to change again on a train to reach the yeah. top of Europe on 3,454 meters. Of course, for the, for the skiers, they want to go immediately on the slopes. For the one who want to go hiking, want to enjoy the winter scenery, they can still go higher up to Jungfraujoch, top of Europe. Yeah, and it's a stunning um, area. The, uh, there's three mountains uh, that run across the, uh, the range there that I'm sure, pretty sure that most listeners will have heard of. And uh, they are, I'm not sure I'm going to get them in, in order, but um, they're the Eiger, the Jungfrau and the Monk. Is that right? Uh, totally correct. Uh, just in terms of the, how they are situated, it would be Eiger, Mönch, and then Jungfrau. So okay. you were almost, almost correct. Okay. And, and they stand for, I think if you translated them to English, Eiger is the ogre, the Jungfrau is the young lady, and the monk is a monk. Yeah, that's, that's correct. There must and, be uh, some story behind uh, that. I'm sure it's not just, it sounds like a, a joke, you put them all together, but what's the story there? Yeah, there are some uh, tales about about the names of the mountains, and um, yeah, it's it's simply to say, Iger is a is a mailman, and uh, and uh, Jungfrau is a virgin lady, and in between you have the monk, so protecting uh, the the Jungfrau mountain from from the okay. Iger. <laughs> but it's a complete story. You better read uh, online. You can find this story. Very <laughs> right. Okay. Well, we'll look into that one. And I got one other question about the lift itself. 
it's called a, a, like a V cable wave. And I thought, you know, when I said, uh, when I was looking around, I thought the lift was going to be shaped like a V, but I understand now that's not the case. It's because there's, there's two lifts. Is that right? Like departing in a V direction. Yes, correct. Now from the new terminal in Grindelwald, you can travel on one cable car to Mannlichen and on the other one to Eiger Glacier, where you can reach also the ski area. So we have kind of two new lifts. And uh, also to add very impressive uh, to travel on the Eiger Express is that you travel in front of the Eiger North Face, which is right, one yes. of the most famous walls in, in North Faces in, in, in the Alps. And um, from there, you can see the 1,800 meters rocks just in front of you next to the cable car. So I'm also looking forward personally to see this view out of a cable car. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick a, a photo of the uh, <clears throat> the kind of plan into the show notes so uh, people can see it and put a link in there as well. But yeah, it looks like you know you're arriving almost directly under the uh, the face, aren't you? Yes, correct. You you fly like in front of the Eiger North Face, which is which is uh, very impressive, of course. Also, I just wanted to add that the new cable car is huge. So we have 26 seats in each gondola, um, right. which, which is great also in these times to protect each other. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm very convinced that this new cable car will be a big success for, for the ski area, for the Jungfrau ski region. Oh, great. Well, I definitely look forward to trying to uh, come out and, and try it myself. Uh, this winter at some point there's a, there's a lot of factors at play that will determine whether or how i get to do that but um i have got a, a reporter on the ground in switzerland who will come and uh, try it for us if i'm not able to do it myself otherwise i, I wish you um, all the best for the season and it opens on the did you say the 5th of december remo yes correct 5th of december we have the official opening so after that date you're free to travel to switzerland and and to to enjoy the new uh, cable car and the ski area Cool. All right. Well, that's great. Thanks for sharing that with us and all the best for the season. Thank you so much. And stay healthy. Now, I know, Crystal, that you have never been to Jungfrau. Just something suggests to me that you uh, haven't. Um, Alex, have you been over there? Uh, Grindel? Valt, the closest or, I've uh, got to is yeah. on Instagram. The following Jungfrau, on Instagram? Jungfrau Jock Railway. I follow them on Instagram and the okay. views look amazing. Yeah. Do they, do they have a lot to say? Uh, they seem to put out a lot of content considering it's the same like views all the time, but they're still amazing <laughs> views. Well, according to uh, Remo on this new lift, you're going to get amazing views of the north face of the Eiger, um, which, if I recall correctly, Shane McConkey threw himself uh, off at some point, didn't he? He probably did, yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I skied over there when I did the Inferno a few years ago, and I was over in Murren, which is in the other side of that Jungfrau uh, region. And what I found a little bit frustrating about, you know, getting around that ski area uh, is that there's lots of these little train rides, you know, to get from Murren to Vengen to Grindelwald, you're going to get all these trains. So, you know, a nice new modern uh, gondola like the Eiger Express will make things much easier. But let's transition from Switzerland, much as I love talking about the place, uh, to France. Uh, Alex, you're based in Courchevel. You said it's raining uh, today. D mm. Does that mean it maybe it's snowing higher up? Uh, I I think it's scheduled to snow tomorrow. Maybe is it? It's okay. still a bit warm at the moment, uh, which is annoying. If it was cold, then you can think 
snowy peaks. But uh, if it's warm, you just go, I'm just getting wet now. It's, uh, it's just depressing. <laughs> Well, and you told me earlier, um, off air, I guess we were in the green room or whatever it was, that um, you, there's a lot of construction going on in Courcheval. What, what is new? What's coming up in Courcheval for this winter? Well, several things. Thanks to Sir Jim Radcliffe of Ineos, who made a very large donation to the Club de Sport, they have completely changed the existing stad uh, by putting a massive new building at the bottom with parking and it's huge. It's uh, it looks absolutely amazing. I saw um, a picture of it the other day. Was that an artist's impression? Or has it actually been built, the building? They are planning on getting it watertight by this winter right. and then doing the interior next year. Yeah, and I think I'm right in saying uh, because I went out there last year and I did talk to Bruno Tuer, yes, who's the director of the Club Miss Sport. Sport, and he told me that Jim Ratcliffe's daughter races in, uh, you know, at the Club Miss Sport. She's like a teenager. I can't remember how old she is. I think she goes to school in Geneva and she races there. So he's a big fan. And he he gifted them something like 13 million euros to build this, right? I thought it was nearer 20. Well, there you go. Okay. So you, you, when you're the type of guy who can just like gift 20 million euros to your local ski club, particularly when it's Cheval 1850, who I'm thinking probably aren't short of money anyway, right? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, when you find the small change in your pockets and you go, oh, here's 20 million or whatever the number is, it's like a telephone number. Um I'm sure any resort, regardless, will be have their hands out going, yes, please, because... Yeah, and so they're building that at the bottom of the uh, the Stad, which is in 1850, I think it's called the Emile Allais, isn't it, Stad, where yes. they do the Women's World Cup racing. Which but in addition December. to that, when I went out um, and was talking to, to Bruno, he showed me the plans for the downhill run for the 2023 world championships and they have now named that the eclipse is what yep. they're calling it how is that looking have you had a look you know i realize you haven't skied it yet but i know you like to get out and explore on the slopes uh yeah when we went up to watch the tour de france um they have like marked out where the new piste is looking at the route that it's taking it, it it looks like it's going to be great i mean i can see that it's going to be a a, a welcome addition to Courchevel and the three valleys because in in the kind of press information that i've uh, seen about it they are suggesting that people will be able to ski the eclipse this winter but when yeah. i was briefed on the course he was explaining to me that people are going to hit uh, a ridge at the Bou Blanc the restaurant there where they'll fly off this ridge at about 130 kilometers an hour and might you know travel 50 meters in the air i'm wondering how you know are they are they going to have lots of boy racers flying off this ridge <laughs> who who can tell i know at the boublanc restaurant they're actually building a tunnel underneath it so that people can actually go past when they're actually racing um, but I'm sure as soon as they open it, there'll be boy races thinking, let's be the first to go and 
do whatever and and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people picking up bits of skier as they go down the hill. You know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, in these we in uh, episode sixty, we were talking about ski tech, and you know, these days people love their their ski tracks or Strava and want to record, uh, you know, how fast they go. And I'm sure people will be trying to get the fastest known time on the course before there's an official race on it. I always find those apps especially maybe not that you have on the phone that are maybe a little over optimistic about giving you the speed that you're going oh yeah because i always come across people who go i was going 90 miles an hour and i'm going Lindsay von doesn't even go 90 miles an hour but <laughs> right you think they they're designed to flatter the uh skier i think so slightly them. yes add right, 10 percent okay. right interesting and uh, as well you said you were um were went up for the Tour de France, which I think technically was sort of in Meribel rather than in Courchevel. The finish was at the top of the Col de la Luz, uh, yes. I believe. What was the atmosphere like that day? It was great. I mean, uh, uh, and despite like the warnings of lockdowns and, and of mask wearing, uh, everybody was like of high spirits and sitting around watching the world go by and uh, and eventually watching some very tired cyclists go by. I'm lucky enough to have been here in 2000, I think, four, when Lance Armstrong came to Courchevel. Yeah. And it's the same there. It's just this great atmosphere of, of just, of just, it's a very French thing. Um, and I was pleased to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I love uh, the Tour de France and I was in Courchevel in 1997 when they had a stage finish there, which was won by um, Jan Ulrich, I think. But what I really liked about it, I stood around the entrance to 1850, and as the the leaders were coming up the hill through 1650, winding the way, you can see the helicopter above, and they're getting nearer and nearer, and there's this wave of sound as they get closer to you. Uh, and obviously, they were going relatively slowly on the steeper bits, which made it... Uh, a bit better uh, as well. Uh, can I ask you another question about the Col de la Loz? I saw some photos the other day. I know they're building a new reservoir up there, uh, which I believe is to feed the uh, snow cannons. Have you seen that at all? Yes, it is absolutely huge. Um, when you when you stand by the side of it and look it down into this like abyss of this hole that they've built, uh, or dug, sorry. Uh, it is monstr monstrous to feed snow cannons, fine, but also like the de the destruction of a mountain to do it is also, yeah. you know, so you have to balance this thing up of going, yes, you, if you want to guarantee snow all season long, but then if you're a marmot who's been living there for his life and he's been yeah. evicted, that's uh that's another thing that um again when i was over there before i think they said to me the reason they've had to do it is because this regulations uh, state that if you want to hold a world championships race you have to have a minimum number of snow cannons and a, a certain amount of capacity and they needed to install it to be able to create that but it does mean that courcheval now has the highest capacity for snowmaking for any resort in france it might be looking down into it 
when you see a JCB that looked like that big. Yeah, this is audio, remember, Alex? That, uh, oh, sorry, Alex is okay. saying something that's very small. <laughs> something that's tiny, and you think, and, and it just, it, it makes you, it's one of those things that makes you feel small when you look at it. Right. It's just, okay. you know, but... Well, um, presumably it'll be full of water by the time we get to uh, see it. So it'll um, never be like that. But you will, essentially, everyone will, will notice it. Yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully not, because it's like, don't look over there, look over there. <laughs> okay. Crystal, can I ask you, um, Courcheval, have you, I know you didn't go there last season. Have you been uh, skiing in Courcheval before? Yes, I have. Um, I've done the Three Valleys uh, several times. Um, yeah. Valtorone is obviously one of the top end of season trips. So in the ski industry, it's where, yeah, where we end up most Aprils. So yeah, I've done a lot of skiing um, in Courcheval and Maribel as well. So yeah, amazing area. And it's really great to hear all the improvements that are going on in resort. Like, I, I'm a big fan of what's new next season. Um, so yeah, and it's really exciting what Courcheval in particular are doing in preparation for the World Championships. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the World Championships. I mean, 2023 still seems like quite a long time away, but they've been preparing for it for a long time. Uh, and then obviously the Eclipse run uh, as well. To actually get onto or to be able to host the World Championships, which is being held joint between uh, Courcheval and Meribel. So the men's races are in Courcheval and the women's races are in uh, Meribel. And I believe in, in Meribel, they're also making changes uh, there to be able to run the women's downhill race they're rerouting or putting a bridge in uh, and maybe a tunnel that you mentioned that Alex so that skiers can still ski without it being an issue if you could go anywhere this winter uh, Crystal where would it where would it be Oh, anywhere. Well, sounds like I need to go to Switzerland. <laughs> so, well, yeah, Switzerland's been the top of my list for quite a while. Um, it sounds really, I, I, I've been to teen you know, hundreds, well, not hundreds of times, but um, so many times. And I, I, I'm really excited to go back to Teen um, again. It's sort of like one of my, 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 one of the first places that I ever went actually snowboarding in my case. Um, and yeah, I, I would be very happy to go there um, <laughs> again this winter and for many other winters. But and, and what about quarantine? Would you be prepared to quarantine? Because just to introduce this, um, Mountain Travel Network did a survey a little while ago where they showed that uh, I think 27% of people would be prepared to quarantine for 14 days. But if you cut that down to seven days, the figure would go up to over 50%. Would you be prepared to quarantine to be able to get a, a ski holiday in? I would, um, but I know I'm very different to the general public, you know, and with you guys, you know, we, we are, you know, skiing and snowboarding is our love. Um, and, and especially like me, I, have, I didn't get to go last year. So it's been mm. sort of nearly two years since I last went. So like I'm, I'm dying to go any way possible. So I'm willing to do the two week quarantine. Hopefully it will only be seven days um, if it comes to it. But um, yeah, I guess I'm in a, a good place. You know, um, I work in marketing. I can work from home easily. Um, I, I've got a, a, a nice house, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm quite be quite happy to quarantine for two weeks um, if it came to it. Yeah, I've been um, <clears throat> thinking about that whether or not you know it could happen. I'm certainly hoping to be able to go skiing in Scotland, and in fact, in the next episode we'll be talking about Scotland, but I'll come to that uh, later. But uh, we'll we'll see <laughs> how that uh, how that progresses. 
let's let's move on from um skiing and quarantine which we could probably talk about forever um earlier this week i was lucky enough to uh interview uh, florian who is the sustainability uh, manager and transparency manager for a uh, picture organic clothing um let's have a quick listen to that so the main question when they created the brand was to ask all right how can we could make a snow jacket, which is our main activity still at the moment, making technical products for skiing, snowboarding, so basically snow jackets. So how we could, how could we make one uh, without using conventional polyester coming from oil? You have to know yeah. that the, the, the conventional way of producing a jacket, a snow jacket, is to, uh, is to, uh, is to drill some oil to create uh, something called polyester. Uh, and then creating a, a yarn and a fabric, uh, a polyester fabric. So it has something like this, uh, asking this simple question, how could we avoid this conventional polyester coming from oil? And one of the solutions was to, um, to use recycled polyester from plastic bottles, so from post yeah. plastic bottles. And this is something we are still doing uh, 12 years after with the exact same supply chain in Taiwan. Uh, so we know every aspect of that supply chain from the recycling of plastic bottles until the finished product and every yeah. step. I, I, I have, when I was having a look around your website yesterday, there's a tremendous video on there which goes through that process of how you convert plastic bottles into, into yarn that you can use to make, uh, to make materials. And it is quite amazing. And obviously that's a very big setup there. So you've worked with the same partners in Taiwan for all of the uh, history of the company, is that correct? Yeah, we've been working with them uh, for 12 years now. Uh, so they are still uh, making our products and they were still and they were making the, the very first jacket in 2009. Uh, and that's that's really interesting and, and um, yeah, and relevant for, for, for us to be able to still working with those same partners because it's for me, one of the best way to um, to improve what you're doing in terms of materials, in terms of dyeing process, in terms of energy for the whole supply chain, knowing the people, knowing also the brands, the the, the yeah the other companies that work with those partners, is one of the main yeah aspects. You know, I found that really fascinating I and mean, we've discussed sustainable ski wear on the podcast before we had uh, Rachel from Eco Ski on in episode 57 uh, and in episode 59 I interviewed Alex from Cahaya Straits uh, who also are making their jackets out of recycled uh, plastic. Thinking about sustainability Crystal you know is that is it in, important to you do you think about that when you when you're buying your ski clothing or clothing in general? Yeah, I, I definitely think about it now more than ever that maybe I didn't really in the past, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a hot topic um, this year in the last, in the last sort of couple of years. So yeah, I, I and I, not just for me, I think for consumers as well going forward, it is a very important aspect um, and it will, it will go out into sort of into holidays people will start thinking about um because I, I think ultimately everyone wants to be kinder to the environment now um and i can totally imagine this, this will be a bigger thing over the next few years so uh, yeah, well i mean they yeah. certainly uh, developed you know very fast 2008 they founded 
uh, or they they started and they're going very well. I, I quoted some stats in that particular uh, interview, which said that um, many people are prepared to pay more for sustainable clothing, and the younger you are, the more likely you are to be prepared to pay more. The baby boomers, you know, only twelve percent of them would pay more, but uh gen gotta get my gens right gen z i think they are uh, you know 31 percent are prepared to pay more what about you alex i mean you probably spend broken legs aside quite a lot of days on the mountain you know every winter so for you you know you you are using your ski equipment a lot more than just like once a year or something like that do you think about the sustainability aspects of it if when you buy your kit I go about it in a different way in the fact that I'm still wearing the same ski clothing that I had like six years ago. And until it actually falls off me, I don't actually replace it. So um, I don't need to have the latest colors every year or, hmm. uh, or anything like that. And I get a lot of pushback from friends going, your jacket is so dirty please buy another one because and i'm just like uh, okay yes you know but um so yes i ski on skis that are 10 years old i you know i and my salar pets are like five years old uh so if it ain't broke don't, broke don't fix it so you know well or yeah no that's exactly right i mean part of the um the philosophy that uh, picture organic and other sustainability producers uh follow is that they're trying to produce uh, equipment and kit that will last a long time but also to get it repaired i mean repairing repair workshops are much more common i don't know if they existed a few years ago and now they're quite a regular thing i think they get organized uh, every month or so in Courcheval. is that right that there's there's one called one tree at a time yeah uh which are very into uh recycling uh everything from like ski instructors jackets that were, have never been worn to just you know repairing stuff that has got a little tear in it and reselling it and you know it's a really good idea you know to, in that in that way stuff that was sure just i think patagonia you know you put on free uh, repair workshops around the alps uh, as well what i have noticed is that you know probably uh, crystal you see this as well you get a lot of press packs from the different ski resorts and they all have a section about their sustainability and sustainable options. And I'm constantly scanning for what I would consider to be greenwashing and what are actually you know, genuinely um, positive moves forward. And I mean, I noticed that a uh, uh, layman weir, almost their whole press pack was about sustainability and all of the different things uh, that they're doing. I mean, they're not alone in that respect, but they've really chosen to make it a focus. Les Arcs as well is another resort that's really focused uh, on that. They're trying to get their um, Flock en Vert uh, accreditation uh, this year. Um, do you, have you noticed um, resorts trying to get that sustainability message across more? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, as you said, pretty much every resort now that is one of their new areas um, when when they release um, what what's new for this season. So yeah, it's uh, yeah as you said, um, there's like different fluctuations of it. You know, there's you know they might just be be doing a small little thing, um, or they might be doing big things. But I think at the moment, any anything that sort of ski resorts can do to have a greener reputation is good. Um, 
and what consumers as well can also do to sort of help um help it be a more sort of greener <laughs> well i mean well. yeah yeah i mean you're absolutely right in that respect because um the consumer makes it the, the biggest single difference uh, in terms of the carbon footprint of a ski holiday is how you decide to travel to a resort and ski flight free the uh, the kind of campaign i set up is trying to encourage people to choose to take other options other than flying what's also very interesting is that recent research has shown that this winter way more people want to drive specifically more planning to uh, take the train than to fly um, even though as far as i've seen flying is you're not particularly likely to catch covid if you fly um, however people feel more secure traveling in that bubble and the number of uh, i'll put the uh, link in the show notes but i blogged about this recently again mountain travel networks research showing that the number of people who are planning to drive this winter assuming we can all travel is effectively doubling that is a good thing as far as you know reducing uh, a carbon footprint is concerned another topic we could talk about for hours <laughs> but I'm going to move on because we've got a few more things to squeeze into the show. Um, again, ooh, this week, it's been a busy time with all these extra interviews. I spoke uh, to Winona and Simi from uh, Mount Noir, a tour operator specialising in trips for black British skiers. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Winona Barnier and Simi Ocker, who are the uh, co-founders of Mount Noir. And um, I wondered if we could just start off, uh, maybe Winona, if you wanted to explain a little bit about what Mount Noir is. Okay, so thank you for having us today, Ian. Um, so Mount Noir is a travel community um, made of five black British girls who um, have a passion for skiing. Um, we set up the company just to sort of, um, you know, do what we do, like doing best, go skiing with other people on top of the mountains. Um, and mainly to promote the sport towards black and ethnic minorities um, in the ski industry. Excellent. And, and how long ago did you set up then, uh, Simi? When, when, when was your first trip? Yeah, sure. So our first trip was in 2019. Um, we went to Chamonix. It was a concept trip initially. We wanted to understand sort of what the interest would be. Um, and so we went with a small group of people to Chamonix, which was an amazing experience. We really enjoyed it. Um, but one of the things we definitely noticed when we were skiing in Chamonix as a group of black females <laughs> was that a lot we had a lot of people sort of being quite surprised by us and sort of asking us questions, um, which kind of further validated the need for what we were trying to build, which is a group where actually being a black person or being an ethnic minority in skiing isn't unusual. In fact, it's the norm. And so that kind of pushed us to um, go forward with this idea of Mount Noir to help to encourage other minorities to also join us on the mountains, you know, and bring colour to the mountains generally. Great. In fact, I love that in your your um, uh, strap line, I suppose it'd be called, your mission is to bring colour to the mountains. You're looking to increase uh, inclusivity. Uh, Winona, why, why do you think so few black uh, or ethnic minorities actually do go skiing? Um, so there are a number of factors that... Um, lead to this and the number main thing is sort of accessibility so um skiing you know isn't something that uh, most black or ethnic minority um, individuals do it's typically um a white sport um, and that's just mainly due to geography there aren't many sort of resorts where people live 
um it's often people start skiing in, at school or at university and unfortunately if you haven't been um exposed to it you aren't particularly going to pick up this sport and i think one of the main things is about representation particularly in the media um so when you do look at ski magazines and ski brands it's not very often that you see somebody who is black or, or of an ethnic minority. And I think that also deters people who would, in another sense, want to do skiing as such. So that's what we would try to promote in our company and our brand as such. Yeah, you need a, a more positive representation would help. I think um, I interviewed a chap called Benjamin Alexander on a, a podcast special, I don't know, about a month ago. And he is endeavouring to become the first Jamaican to compete as a skier at the Winter Olympics. Are you, are you familiar with uh, Benjamin? Do you think he would be he would he would help in that respect? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think I think having any figurehead that is more present in the media who is a man of color of a black man of color would be hugely helpful in terms of representation both for young people and older people alike to be honest excellent and um, uh, there's also another organization <coughs> who do some great work called snow camp also based down here in uh, in brighton have you ever come across them at all so we are familiar with snow camp and the, and the way the work that they're doing at the moment um, so they're doing amazing things with helping kids from a particular urban background get involved with skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. What about this winter then? You mentioned last year you went to uh, Chamonix and I think there was another trip to uh, to Bansko. Are you offering, obviously, we've got some challenging times at the moment, but, um, you know, assuming travel works, uh, what's, what trips have you got offered for this winter? Yeah, so this year we, well, March 2021, we intend to go to Valteren for um, our largest trip yet. Um, we understand that there are some difficulties in terms of being able to predict what's going to happen in the market. But what we've done is we've made sure that we're connecting with suppliers who offer protection against those things. So financial protection to make sure that if anything does happen, unfortunately, and the ship has to be moved, um, we can accommodate for that. So, you know, we're very keen to make sure this still happens. I think we're coming to a point in the world where like we have to get used to some of these uncertainties um and so we're still we're still in a point where we're in a place where we think we can offer that trip just with the securities necessary yeah <laughs> well we certainly hope yeah you can and if um uh, our listener listeners wanted to hear more about that they would is it mountnoir.com yes it That's is mountnoir.com. Yeah. or just just search uh mount noir I mean, obviously, the medical side of things, I believe that you both work in in the NHS. Is is that correct? Yes, we do. Yeah. So you'd probably be very, um, you know, aware of everything going on. Does that can you fit in skiing around all of that time as well? I mean, with great difficulty. (laughs) (laughs) We plan ahead and we also we always manage um, to go on a ski trip every year as a group. So that's right. And how long ago did you personally start skiing then, uh, Winona? When did you start? Um, So I first learned how to ski in 2014. Um, I started to learn on dry slopes in the UK. Um, Did you? Which one? Um, Just outside of London, just in Bromley sort of area. Okay. Yeah. And Simi? Uh, so I actually went on my first ski trip in my first year of medical school. So that was 2012. Um, yeah. It was a trip that was offered and my housemate at the time was would not stop talking about it. And she was like, we have to go, we must go. Um, and it was the best decision I made in my life of my life. It was just, um, you know, I, I went and spent all this money and then got out there and I was absolutely taken aback by it. And I 
you know, me being me, I was like, I'm not going to get ski lessons. And I sort of jumped on the slopes. <laughs> Don't practice this at home. <laughs> Just jumped on the slopes um, and practiced over the next couple of days and ended up getting quite good and really enjoyed it. And ever since, have have loved it since then and tried to go with Lady Stone. Great. Well, I mean, that sounds really good, apart from not having lessons. Yeah. Sounds, uh, like a, <laughs> the best way of approaching it. No. Um, but, um, you know, it's certainly... I wish you all the best with Mount Noir. I believe possibly our paths will be crossing because um, I think you will be at the National Snow Show, which we've mentioned a few times on the podcast, uh, scheduled to be, if all goes well, I think in uh, September, October of, uh, of next year. Uh, but obviously, if people want to find out more, then go to uh, mountnoir.com just now. So thank you very much, Verona and Simi, and uh, all the best for this winter. And also uh, thanks for all of your work uh, on the NHS as well. Thank you, Thank Ian. you for having us, Ian. So, yeah, I found that really interesting. We talked about Benjamin Alexander, the uh, Jamaican skier who I interviewed in, in a ski podcast special uh, last month. And they're saying that he could be a really good role model and help um, black skiers feel that they can identify with, with a skiing holiday and, and increase diversity. Uh, and as it goes, they're going to be at the National uh, Snow Show uh, next year and October next year uh, as well. So I think we, you know, we'd have to agree that that will that will be a good thing. Talking about the National Ski Show, um, you can actually get free tickets at the moment. They're basically giving away 2,000 free tickets. I'm going to put a link into the show notes uh, so that you can have a look about it. But uh, this is the show that's going to be at the NEC in Birmingham in October 2021. A long way off. Who knows, you know, what will happen, but I would say get your name down and get the free tickets. So I'll put a link in the show notes and you can uh, find out about that. Right, we're going to move on to Ski Book Group. Ski Book Group. I've got a quick question for you. You had a little bit of notice, but not very long. It's not a big book. Alex and Crystal, did either of you read A Whole Life by Robert C. Tyler? Um, no, I haven't been able to. No, you have not done your homework. I know, I'm sorry. So that's okay, because I'm going to uh, recommend it. Um, the book is about a man who is born and brought up on a farm in the Austrian Alps. And as his life progresses, he's born in the early 20th century, he sees that particular place become a ski resort. He works on the uh, the team that builds the first cable car and in the end he becomes a, a mountain guide as well and he sees the first hotels built in the resort and it's not a history of a ski resort at all but it's a very warm um, and profound story of someone's life but set in the type of environment that i think that all skiers would really enjoy reading about it's very evocative of the mountains and an era that we often forget about. I think sometimes you go to a ski resort and you forget that people have lived here for centuries, not just since the ski lifts were there. And as it goes, in the case of this book, there's certain people who own certain bits of the mountain who end up becoming very rich. And you see this in every ski resort. I mean, I don't know if is Courcheval like that? Are there a few families that own most of Courcheval, or is it? I, I think every every ski resort has like three or four families that basically own everything. Um, and as you say, they they were like farmers that have all of a sudden become 
multi-millionaires. So, uh, yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, Crystal, that you went into Zermatt. In Zermatt, there's the Perrins and the Ulans. I think, broadly speaking, they own pretty much uh, everything over there. And if you go to St. Anton, you'll see uh, the Falk family, uh, you know, lots of the properties or they're called after them over there. But I would recommend A Whole Life by Robert C. Tarler. It won't take you very long to read uh, at all. And it's a very beautiful book if you love the mountains. And I'll just mention as well that um, we're going to have our, our one-off special about the book Aiming High, which is the life of Earn Low by Mark Frary. That will probably come out in November or December. Uh, delighted to receive a few reviews and they're always very welcome. You can review us on iTunes and that helps other people find us. Alex Soden did that. He said he was very sad to hear Jim is leaving uh, after a wonderful run of podcasts. Uh, this is a series that first got me into podcasts. Well, that is great to hear, Alex, and you still listen to each episode. So that's also really good. Uh, thanks for your comments about my uh, insight. What I really like is the fact that you are 21. And that's really good to know that we have younger listeners uh, as well, because I seem to recall someone criticised us before. So thanks for your five star review. Uh, Stephen Morgan said uh, this podcast is definitely one to tune into. The back episodes are worth a listen. So listener, if, you're, if you've not listened to the other 60 odd episodes, then tune in. Uh, Stuart Johnson said congratulations on three years. I almost hadn't noticed, but we've been doing these podcasts for three years now. He's about a year behind catching up. So that's quite a long time to go. That must mean, Bristol, it was around three years ago that you last appeared on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can remember the flat that I was in in Ballum <laughs> when I recorded. And that was, uh, yeah, was, I guess, yeah, it was like three years ago now. <laughs> oh. Wow. And and Alex, I think you've probably been on every year during uh, the course of uh, our podcasting. Yes, I have. Yes, it's uh, all good. <laughs> no, don't. Yeah, don't sound so cheery about it. You can oh. you can be on next episode as well if you want to send us a little uh, snow report from team sure. if you'd like to. My pleasure. Uh, also on on next episode we're going to have Ed Drake, who is the presenter of the Ski Racing podcast. He's also been on the show before, but he's going to be coming on and giving us a brief on the uh, World Cup season, which has already started in Solden last weekend. We're going to be talking about skiing in Scotland in a bit more detail, uh, and also ski touring. Uh, it, we discussed in the last episode how there's a trend towards ski touring uh, with people wanting perhaps to avoid lifts uh, and maybe not even wanting to buy a lift pass. So when we talk about ski touring in, in Chamonix and the area. So listener, if, if you've enjoyed the, this podcast, uh, please subscribe and share it. Let your friends know about the show. And you can contact us on uh, on social media at The Ski Podcast. That's the same on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And give us your reviews. You can follow me at Skipedia. I'd like to thank my guests for today, Crystal from snow.co.uk and Alex from 150 Days of Winter. And I'd like to thank you, listener. So um, goodbye, everyone. And uh, look forward goodbye. to coming back Bye. again in another couple of weeks. Thank you. Hi there listener, Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the ski podcast at buymeacoffee.com. Researching, 
recording, editing and publishing the pod takes up a lot of my time. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy it. You know, I love talking with people about skiing. But if you do enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to support us, then you can literally buy me a coffee, or in my case it would be a cup of tea, but the idea is the same. So just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.